0: She has something she wants to tell our faith family. A few weeks ago, Selah came to me with her mom and dad, Rob and Melissa, and she told me that she's realized that she's a sinner and that she had asked Jesus Christ into her heart to save her. So we celebrate that as a church, and she has um, asked that she, uh, she, she desires to join our church, through baptism, and so we are gonna celebrate that as a church on December 17th in two weeks. We're gonna baptize Selah. Rob, uh, her dad's gonna baptize Sela. So we're excited about that. So as you see Selah going around the hallways and things, be sure to stop and tell her how excited you are that she's decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So please let's celebrate that together as a church. Sure, to walk as you head out. You'll go back. You're not listening to me at all. That's all right. We're training some track stars around here at Leewood. That's okay. And they're going to go back to their time of worship. Parents, you can pick up your kids in the fellowship hall uh, when our time of worship is done. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We continue. Our series in and John, and you say, Adam. I thought this was Advent season. Isn't it a requirement for pastors to stop whatever they're doing and uh, preach uh, Christmas sermons for the next few weeks? Well, believe it or not, that's not a requirement. Uh, but also, John, this screams Advent. The entire Gospel of John is about Advent, and I know that we may have. Uh, Some folks here where you were not raised in church, and you have not um, been involved in the church very much in your life, then that's great. So you might be asking the question, Adam, what is Advent? We've heard that word thrown around for a few few times uh, today. You may want to know what is Advent. Well, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. I'm not going to throw any more crazy (laughs) language at you for the rest of the day, so just breathe easy. But it means coming. It means coming. So we recognize the coming. The Advent season goes for four Sundays. So today, December 3rd, the 10th, the 17th, and the 24th, we will celebrate Advent. And it ends on Christmas Eve. And the celebration of Advent, it involves hopeful expectation because we are identifying with the people of Israel. Remember, the people of Israel. Messiah is coming the Messiah is coming so we identify with these people of Israel in the Old Testament because we today we awake, awake the second coming of Jesus in glory it's time of, for us of anticipation of joy hope assurance patience promises fulfilled yes our Messiah Jesus has come and rescued us from eternal judgment that we deserve, yet we remain on earth, Thank and we're fighting, we're struggling, we're suffering, and we're still waiting for him to come again. So during this Advent season, we recognize the coming of Jesus at his birth, but we're also looking forward to his second coming when he comes back for us as our king. So that is what Advent is all about, Charlie Brown. And so now we go, and some of will get that later, John chapter 6, all right? John chapter 6, verses 6 through 60 is where we're at. Over the past three weeks, we've been camped out in John 6. The first part of the chapter, we saw Jesus feed the 5,000, or really, in reality, there was probably around 20,000 people there. Jesus fed them with five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus used feeding the 5,000 with bread and fishes... <coughs> To explain to the people that he is the bread of life, meaning that he's the only thing that can bring true satisfaction and bring eternal life. We saw when Mike shared a few weeks ago. He talked about how Jesus walked on the water and how he has power over creation, that we don't have to fear death because he secured eternity for the believer. Then last week, Pastor Jason elaborated from verses on the statement that Jesus made. I am the bread of life. Jesus told them that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life. Then he explained to them that their ancestors, the Israelites, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and God sent manna to them to eat so they could survive. But what happened, we'll see this again today, what happened after God sent the manna in the Old Testament to the people of Israel? They ate the manna, and then what happened? They died. They still died, right? So, yes, it provided them temporary, temporarily life, but it didn't give them eternal life. So Jesus mentions that to them. So look at verse 51. We're going to get to verses 60 through 70 in a minute. But look at verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So that's kind of a interesting statement. Now, our hindsight, we have a huge advantage. Our hindsight today is 2020. We know that Jesus was talking about giving his life to satisfy the wrath of God for the sins of the world. Now, we might think that might make God sound angry or violent, but remember, we've established this throughout our series of John, Jesus is God in the flesh. So, remember, Jesus is God, so by him giving up his life for the sins of the world, God it, taking upon his own wrath up for sin upon himself. We call it the substitutionary atonement. And Now that was not an act of violence. It was an act of love. Because Jesus as God being crucified on the cross was taking his own wrath upon sin upon himself. But of course the religious leaders here in John 6 and the people, they don't understand it. What do they think Jesus was talking about? Cannibalism. They thought, they thought that Jesus was literally talking about, if you eat my flesh, then you then, then my, my body is the bread that I give for the world. But then Jesus, he basically doubles down on this statement, doesn't he? Because again, this is a review from what Jason covered last week, but look at verses 53 through 59. Jesus doubles down, He's, he said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man... And drink his blood. You do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food. Look at verse 60 now. This is where we're going to begin camping out for the rest of our time. Verse 60 says, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? So many of his disciples, they're hearing what Jesus has said, talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood to have true life. They're hearing all this. Now remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. And we think of these 12 disciples as kind of like the inner circle. They were right around Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of his time pouring his life and discipling them. He had an inner circle. But he had many more followers for different reasons. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus had many more followers. And they heard what Jesus said, and they said, this is hard teaching. Now, what were they saying? Were they saying this teaching is hard to understand? Maybe. Are they... Is Jesus literally talking about his eating his blood and drinking his flesh? Possibly, but not likely. What they are saying by Jesus saying all of this, by eating his flesh and drinking his blood, this teaching is hard, they're playing. They're saying this teaching is offensive. And on a surface level, yeah, this is offensive. This is gross. This is disgusting guy's talking about, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Sounds something like out of a horror movie. So yes, it is offensive. And on a surface level, it sounds like Jesus is talking about cannibalism. But that is not what he's saying. And he goes on to explain this. So look at verse 62. Jesus says, does this offend you? Verse 61. Jesus, knowing himself that that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit and are life. So Jesus is telling disciples, look, I'm not talking about, what I'm talking about is not spiritual matters. Again, Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you, key verse there in verse 63, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. Jesus is right there saying, I'm not physically talking about this. I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. Jesus is saying, my words that I have, they carry eternal ramifications. So Jesus, to wrap all this together, Jesus is saying, Moses, through the work of God, bread was provided to the people of Israel. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm better than that manna. Because I ate that manna, and they died. So I'm better than this manna. I'm better than Moses. Not believe in the one who would betray him. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So think about this for just a moment, okay? Disciples now are not believing. Even after they had seen Jesus feed the 5,000 or more to like 20,000, Jesus healing the sick, Jesus revealing his glory progressively. And there were still some who did not believe. And this is kind of a phenomenon, right? I mean, we would think, and it's easy for us to sit here in 2017 to be judgmental. I mean, we would think that these followers of Jesus, they would believe. But they had not believed. I mean, they were sitting right there with them, seeing him doing these things, teaching these things. And you would think they would believe, but they still had not believed.
1: <clears throat>
0: Why? 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 Why deny they not believe? Because Jesus answers that question here. So look again at the very end of verse 65. He says, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So there has to be a divine move from God that would cause them to believe. And this had not happened in their life. Throughout the Gospel of John, I hope you're sensing this pattern. There's patterns in the read the Bible, we need to be looking for patterns. There's a pattern that we begin to see over and over and over again here in the Gospel of John. We keep running into this word believe, right? We keep seeing it over and over again here in John. It's the whole point of this Gospel, because John even wrote in chapter 20, verse 31, he said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of this whole book, is to believe. Now we need to understand something about belief. Belief, as Jesus says here, belief is a gift from God. It's a divine revelation on the heart of a person. God has to grant it. The Father has to grant it. So God initiates towards us. In Jesus, God the Son, how did he do that? By coming to this planet as a baby. Advent. God in the flesh initiated towards us. And then the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the reality of, of the holiness of God and our sinfulness. And then the Holy Spirit moves us into belief in the work of Jesus Christ. This belief is not a historical belief or even belief in existence. Listen, these disciples here, I'm sure they believed in his existence, right? They were sitting right there. They could see him. They could touch him. They could hear him. So we're not talking about historical belief or a belief in his existence. But God draws us to himself and reveals who Jesus is and reveals what Jesus did. And this calling... Evidently did not happen to these disciples It didn't happen because let's go to verse 66 It says from that moment Many of his disciples turned back And no longer accompanied him So Jesus said to the twelve You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life We have come to, keyword again, believe, and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. So here, here in verses 66 or 71, we have some disciples who turned back and deserted Jesus. Why? Because they couldn't handle his teaching. It was too much. It was offensive. It was hard. And then Peter, I love Peter, don't you? He just speaks up and talks all the time. Right? Don't you love those people? who talk all the time. Right? And Peter has a tendency to stick his foot in his mouth a lot. But this is not one of those moments Because Peter, he says here, he says, you have the words to eternal life. And we believe, the twelve, the big twelve, as I like to call them, the twelve believe that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter is saying, well, we twelve right here, we believe. Well, what does Jesus say? He says, no, no, no. There's even one of you of the twelve. One of you on the inner circle Judas, betraying. Who is he talking about? Judas. He's talking about Judas. And we know about Judas, right? If you've grown up in church, if you've read the Bible, you know about Judas. What did Judas do? He sold Jesus out. He betrayed him. He told the religious leaders where he was and delivered him to be arrested. I mean, Judas, who's one of the 12. Judas is in on the inner circle. He's following Jesus around All this time, for three years, Judas is around Jesus. He saw everything Jesus did. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Jesus feed nearly 20,000 people. He heard Jesus explain that he was the bread of life. He heard Jesus teach, I am the living water. Yet Judas still missed it. He didn't believe. I don't know why. I asked myself that question. Why? Maybe it was overexposure. I don't know. But Judas was a religious man. He was a follower of Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He believed he existed. He wouldn't have followed him. Faith family, listen to me, and I mean this with all the love in my heart. position. Some kind of moral satisfaction by coming to church and being religious. That's where I found myself when I was 14 years old. I was confronted with the reality of the gospel and I thought that I was going to heaven because my parents were good people. and I was raised in the church. I mean, I had literally been in church since conception. I had been raised in church. I had been born and bred in the church. And I realize at age 14, that's not good enough. I didn't need the church. I didn't need religion. I needed Jesus. And it can be one of the most dangerous and most damning places is to be in church our entire lives. Because the reality is religion will not produce eternal life. Being a good person does not not produce eternal life. following Jesus. Being a fan of Jesus. I think Judas, he liked Jesus. I'm sure he liked him. He followed him. He gave up three years of his life to follow this guy. But he still missed it. None of that, it it produces eternal life. It doesn't work. Being involved in church and following Jesus, or really it's more of being a fan of Jesus, does not produce eternal life. Saying in prayer does not produce eternal life. So we have to sit here asking ourselves the question, what produces eternal life? Because if Judas can miss it, we can miss it. If these disciples had abandoned and deserted Jesus in John 6, we can abandon and desert Jesus too. So what produces eternal life? It's belief in Jesus Christ. A saving belief in Jesus Christ. So you say, Adam, how do I get that? How do I get that saving belief? Well, faith family, saving belief is when God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, opens our eyes to the need of him. And then through that illumination, we then believe. Belief is a miracle of God. You say, Adam, really? It's a miracle? Yeah, it's a miracle. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me show this to you. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. I don't want you to see. were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he goes on to explain what that looks like. Doing whatever we want. Following the prince of the power of the air. Carrying out every desire of our flesh. But he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, let me ask you a question. Okay, This is a softball. What do dead things do? What do dead things do? Decompose. They decompose. They do nothing but rot. They do nothing So here's the reality for you and I. We cannot will ourselves, we cannot conjure up enough saving belief in ourselves because we're dead. We can't work up this belief in ourselves. And what we do to, because we can't do that, and because we're control freaks, what we do is we try to find satisfaction in other things. We go to church, we give to charity, we try to be a good person, we might even say a prayer. To conjure up this belief in us. But we can't because we're dead. So how do we believe? Well go down to verse 4. But. We have to be resurrected A, we have, he, God has to resurrect us spiritually and remove our spiritual blindness to who Jesus Christ is and then the miracle of belief takes place and we believe Jesus, we follow him, we completely turn our lives over to him to serve him, to serve people to where we are willing to even give our life to him because these 11 disciples most of them here in John 6, they were going to give their lives for him. That's how much they believed him. So we have Judas who doesn't believe, some of the disciples who desert him, and apparently that miracle of God, of belief, did not take place in their lives. But back over to John chapter 6, what did Peter say? He said, You have the words of eternal life. Verse 69, we have come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. So apparently the light bulb went off for Peter and the ten others, but the light did not go off. That miracle did not take place in Judas. This miracle of belief did not happen for all of his for all of his followers. These people that deserted Jesus, Judas would eventually betray him. I firmly believe they enjoyed associating with Jesus. I think they really liked him. They liked him. Maybe he was a nice guy. Maybe they liked the show that he put on with his signs and his miracles. Some of these people were following him, we saw earlier in John 6, to get more bread from him, to get something out of him. They enjoyed the benefits or the perks of following Jesus, but they didn't want him. They didn't want him. They wanted all the stuff that came with Jesus. I mean, and don't we do that? We as humans, we're really good at a cost-benefit analysis. We constantly do that. I will do this if it benefits me in this way. Right? We all have an angle. Let's just shoot and be honest here. We all have an angle. And we approach Jesus. We can approach Jesus that way with a cost-benefit analysis. What can I get out of it? So these disciples are doing that. They enjoy associating with Jesus. They like the show he put on. They enjoyed the benefits or the perks. But they didn't want him. So faith family, listen. When God stirs our hearts to truly believe who Jesus is and what he has done through the gospel, our greatest And see. he even tells his people if you search for me with all your heart we've we've put, and I I believe this can happen where someone, they they believe in that moment, that can happen in one moment, or for some of us, it can be a progression, a process of belief. Don't Don't concern yourself with the process. Concern yourself with the belief. And then if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, like many of us do here, if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus We need to examine our hearts to see, do I follow Jesus For just a couple short minutes. There's a lot for us to evaluate a lot of questions.